Niate Steve Pelletier Yinishe, Mai De Skizi Initially, Bilagana Bashashin, Kinlichini Dashiche, Bilagana Dashanale. So excited again to be joined, be joined by data-driven Piston fans, aka Andy. Uh, you can follow him at D underscore D underscore Pistons dash fan on Twitter. Make sure you go follow. Does some fantastic mathematical analysis of our Pistons. So Andy, you ought to introduce yourself and plug anything you want to. Oh, well, I really don't have much to plug. I'm actually kind of depressed right now with the state of our, our Pistons. But uh, no, I'm, I'm mentioning your, your Substack that you just started. I read both of those articles, especially part two. So many things that I was reading, I was nodding my head. I was like, yes, I feel the same way that you do. But I'll just turn it back over to you and we can we can get started. So today we are doing the state of the Pistons. And the state of the Pistons, I will just start off say, is uncertain. I don't want this just to be like 100%. Like, we don't like Troy Weaver, because I don't think that's where you and I both are at. But we also are disappointed in this trade, as I did in the Substack article. And it does give a lot of uncertainty to the Pistons. And the James Wiseman is the, the catalyst for it. That's where we will start. But we're not just going to harp on that one trade, because... I'm kind of sick of talking about James Wiseman, if I'm being quite honest. And it's got nothing to do with him. It's just the discourse around him is like so, you know, black and white. Nobody wants to find a, a middle ground with him right now. And it's partially Troy Weaver's fault because they pumped him up so much. And the main thing we heard about the trade is like this is the guy we had as our number one, you know, prospect in 2020 on our big board. And it's like, okay okay that's great but you brought him into a situation where you've already been pumping up this rookie who you say is the next sean kemp right who's been playing really well you can already see a lot more on the court than wiseman has produced in three years as well i know part of its injury he hasn't played a lot so you can't really hold that against him as much but jalen Duran and he like what are they going to do are you going to play them together we don't know there's also Isaiah Stewart in there who's continued to expand his game. Good switch defender. Nobody wants him to play the center really like major minutes. So it's like, okay, maybe that's it. But Wiseman's still got to eat up minutes. He's still got to eat up development time right in this. And then we have Marvin Bagley who's still here. And so many people have made the argument that like, oh, look at what these Golden State people are saying about Wiseman, oh, it's positive, but ooh, it kind of sounds like Marvin Bagley. So, like, does Detroit just have two of the same player? And that's four guys for front court positions. Not only to mention Hamadou Diallo's been playing better at the front court position. Maybe they don't, they don't bring him back, but he does seem like he's worked out fairly well. Isaiah Livers works pretty good at the four in the backup role. Honestly, I don't want him at the small forward position as much. He's just not that athletic to handle it. And he's done some good defensive work at the four in the second unit. And then Bojan Bogdanovic as well, who is much better at the four. I don't want him anywhere near the small forward position, but you're probably just going to roll with it there. So these are so many people that can play either power forward and center, and then bam, you throw Wiseman right into the middle of it. Why would you do that? I, I, I'm confused too. And one of the things you didn't even mention was if this team is supposed to make the play-in next season, if that's like the goal, the target is play-in, what 
other franchise do you know that would have two second year players eating up all their minutes at the center position and honestly have the expectation of trying to make the play in like who would do that? That's what we're going to do. We're basically all 48 minutes are going to be Duran Wiseman and Duran has exceeded all expectations. I have nothing against that, but then to make his backup another second year player, like that makes zero sense. And like you said, okay, well, maybe, maybe we'll play Wiseman at the foursome, which I think would be a disaster, but let's pretend like that's part of the plan. You just listed three other players who are best at the four. Like, I just don't understand the roster construction on how, and, and I guess that's probably my biggest concern is if we're trying to win at some point, it has to stop being about collecting assets and stop being the most talent and just saying we need to make this fit into a team but if we're still just grabbing random pieces because it's got a high ceiling then don't tell me we're trying to win because those are like two different two different goals yeah the one joke i've gotten from a couple people like other fandoms on twitter now is like hey if you want to predict what the Pistons are going to do, just check out what top 10 pick hasn't worked in the last couple drafts. And it's like, oh, man, I don't have a response for it anymore because it's the truth, right? Between Julia Locafor, Kevin Knox, Dennis Smith Jr., Josh Jackson, um, now James Wiseman. I'm probably forgetting some names in there, but it's just been a recurring thing. And, yeah, we're approaching year four, and that's still something that they're doing. I That's why it's so uncertain. It's so uncertain because – Again, the center position, the big man position is so loaded. And I know Laz Jackson of DBB has tweeted this now. Um, I think maybe uh, Brady or Ben or one of the other guys are tweeted out too of Troy Weaver's quote of like way, way, way back when his love of centers and his like, you know, unapologetically saying, yeah, I love big men. And now just to see how many centers have gone in and out of here. And it wouldn't be that big of a deal to me if it wasn't the fact that if you look on basketball reference there is not one single person listed as a small forward i know like it's positionless and whatnot but that means you have zero zero dollars and it's year three and you've got no small forwards that is a big problem and that's why i'm saying this is so uncertain because nba is run by wings if you've asked anybody since tayshaun prince has left the detroit pistons what the main need is it's small forward. It was small forward before Stan Van Gundy, the end of Joe Dumars tenure. It was small forward when Stan Van Bowers, that era, they were still small forward then. That's why they got Stanley Johnson. That didn't work out. It was small forward when Stefanski took over for that one season. Now with Weaver, it's continued to be small forward. And again, yes, maybe they wanted Sadiq to do that. And it was like, ah, eh, the defense doesn't look like it's going to work out. But the solution of like, okay, let's get, get rid of him and then bring Wiseman in, who's even more of a question in every last single thing. Whereas Sadiq, you can say at least, oh, you could put him in a corner and knock down threes. And this will be my only Sadiq rant because I'm a big Sadiq fan. I've been a big supporter of him. Even in the draft process, he was one of my favorite players um, in that draft class. And so I don't want this just to be like standing or whatever, but I will say just go look at B-Ball Index's Twitter feed. They've done a bunch of different analysis now of like defense, offense, on-ball creation, on-ball defense, off-ball defense for every last position group. Just go find Sadiq and all of their things and like what 
the fandom has been roasting him for is unwarranted, especially on defense. I think their data has shown that, yeah, he's not great, but you know what? He was taking on tougher assignments than a lot of other people. And he, normally the time, most of the time he was taking on the toughest assignment because, hey, you don't want Jaden Ivey on it. That's pretty much, you know, rolling out the red carpet. You don't want a Bojan Bogdanovich on it because that's he can't do that. So that's just the only thing, too, is like the data. And, you know, there were there was positive film out there. And even his shooting, it was like 39% since like the new year, I believe. Um, it was starting to come around. It just seems like, you, okay, you didn't believe in him, but then you traded him for somebody that you have nothing on other than just to say, no, no, no. I, I had him number one. We're going to prove he's number one. That just seems like a bad bet. Yeah. So unlike you, I have never been a huge Sadiq fan. But with this trade, I do not understand, especially even the timing of it, because he just started playing great over like the last 16 games. He really picked it up. Like the argument for not trading Boyan and uh, Burks, they're like, well, maybe in the offseason we'll have more options why not do the same thing with Sadiq? Like we would have more options. We'd give him another 20 games where teams would be like, Oh, these last, you know, 30 games of the season, maybe this is really what he is. And he'd have more value. And maybe they're thinking like Cleveland we will do two bigs and two bigs will erase the defensive deficiencies of Ivy and, and Bojan. But the problem is Wiseman is not a defensive big. Like there is no statistical metrics that say he's, that's why he did, he couldn't beat Green for playing time. Not Draymond Green, Jamichael Green. Like he couldn't get playing time because of defensive deficiencies, but we're going to use him to erase the mistakes of our wing players. It, it doesn't make sense. And just timing wise, and I understand it seems like this is Weaver's thing that at the end of every season, he wants to make a trade to take a test drive and then sign that guy to a bad contract if we decide to keep him, which I I just, I, yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, and like to try not to roast James Wiseman too much, but to keep it real, like number one, this could be like Kwame Brown. Like Kwame Brown was what, the second pick, I believe, in his draft or first pick in his draft as well. Went on to play over 10 years in the NBA. I'm with Jalen Rose. Anybody that calls him a bust, you're an idiot. Like he set a lot of hard screens for dudes over the years, got a lot of rebounds and played a long time. If you did believe that this is somebody that could be turned around, Tyson Chandler would be another like name to look into. Again, another guy that was a top one or two pick that didn't work out with the Bulls, but then went to the Hornets and caught on with CP3. Eventually won defensive player of the year. I think in New York or Dallas, I always forget where it is, won a title in Dallas. I mean, was an integral part, but that wasn't until like much, much further on down the line. And even then you look at his numbers and you're not gonna be impressed. So I'd say cool it with anybody's expectations, like he's gonna uh, you know, put on 20 and 10. And again, I think Weaver and them saying like, oh, he's their number one pick, like that just, it doesn't help the young man who again has not played even that many minutes as Jalen Duran. And again, keeping it real, he couldn't beat out Anthony Lamb and Ty Jerome in their lineup, in their rotation. He couldn't get any more minutes than those guys. He couldn't get more minutes than Kuminga. Kuminga has a full year less than him. He was drafted after him. Yeah, I know Wiseman got hurt, but he was in that system. He was in that building. What were you doing? What were you studying that you couldn't beat out the guy that's younger than you, that is also, again, raw and has talent, but clearly they've... Um, trusted him enough to be at least their eighth man there. 
and has developed other things like a jump shot and his defensive stuff to get on the court there. So yeah, I mean, I'm with you there. This Wiseman thing also puts a lot of pressure on Troy Weaver this offseason now where, again, nobody listed as a small forward on this roster, right? Killian has not played well now. It looked like he was turning the corner, but now he's kind of gone in the tank. Maybe that turns around. Still, it's not fantastic to say like, oh, going into year four, maybe he'll shoot over 40% from the field. Maybe he'll be like a 33% three-point shooter maybe he'll get more aggressive like these are not good things to say even for a backup point guard right um and somebody you want to rely upon in your second unit to run it not to say he can't but again going into year four not great indicators ivy i'll get to in a minute there is positive stuff there on offense on defense not so much you're going to get Cade back right so there's one of the guard spots I think everybody believes in Cade, right? 20 and, and eight to like 26 rebounds, eight assists, something like that. Hopefully the shooting splits can go up now that he's actually going to be able to work off of two legs instead of one leg. It's pretty amazing. He was able to do all that he could just with that injury still. And then at the wing is, it pains me to say at the wing is Bojan Bogdanovic. Um, again, I don't want it to be just saying he's terrible, but he's terrible on defense. Sure, he's got the shooting, but again, he's been one of the main reasons why this defense is so terrible, and they just have so many guys bust through that front line and get to the the, the front court and to the rim, and then the power forward spot is, I don't know, maybe it's Beef Stew, maybe that is Bojan, maybe they sign in another actual small forward, and then you have the whole front court depth. Who's starting there? Is it Duran? Is it Wiseman? Because they seem to really believe in him. There was that report that he's going to start. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, and then there's Bagley in there. Burks comes back in the second unit, right? But again, you, what is that team lacking? It's lacking defense every single place. And even if you want Duran to take that next step, if you look up numbers of somebody like Dwight Howard, or if you look up numbers like Tyson Chandler, again, these guys that now we remember as defensive monsters, it took them multiple years to figure it out. Especially Dwight, if you look at like his on-off numbers from year one to four, he's in like the 10th or like 30th percentile in terms of like on-off numbers on defense in terms of points per 100 possession and effective field goal percentage like he's not that good but after that every single year like he was up there in the 80s and the 90s it just it takes a while going into year four it's not a good sign that you don't have a point of attack defender like who's guarding the point guards to really get in them and get stop them from getting to the front line who's the wing defender handling guys like Chris Middleton or Zach Levine in your own division DeMar DeBrosen and then out of the big men that are here who's the actual rim protector rim deterrent that is going to be good in year two. So that's probably, and like you said, you know, the word you brought up for this is uncertainty. And that's probably what has frustrated me the most about this season is especially once Cade was injured for the rest of the year, we know we're not going to win games. Let's do things to answer questions. And honestly, we have not answered very many questions that I had going into the season. 
And that's a problem because you can't really evaluate what is the free agent we need? What is the position we need to address if we really don't know what we're working with? And that's why Wiseman is more frustrating because he's just another mystery box. Like, let's just add another one. Because like, if you look at uh, B. Stu's minutes, he still played more minutes at center than he has at power forward this season. So is he really a future four for us? We don't know. And you like you brought up Killian as far as we're not really sure what he is. So going into this next offseason, what questions have we really answered? I, I honestly don't know. And it's hard to say, well, we need, I mean, obviously we know we need defense, but other than that, it's like, what is the, the answer? And when you like, for me, I really feel like this season got derailed and I'm probably the only one who, who thinks this, but the, 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 the Boyan trade was not part of the plan. He fell into Weaver's lap is my opinion because Danny age wanted to get rid of him. Olenek was a perfect center. He got them under the cap. Like he filled their needs. It's not like Weaver went out and got him. This was Danny Age saying, I need to get rid of this guy. And again, Ainge did it at the trade deadline. He said, I'm not getting a lot of value for this, but I need to move these players for my future plan. Like he knows what he's doing and he's sticking to his plan. He doesn't care about the media saying, oh, he, he lost on that trade. So what? He has his plan. But we got Boyan and we fell in love with him. And in my opinion, it ruined Sadiq's season because he overlapped with Sadiq. Obviously, he's far more efficient than Sadiq. He should be. He's a veteran. Sadiq's a third-year player. But it ended up costing us Sadiq's efficiency, costing us his role. It completely messed up our lineups. Like, I really wonder if Bagley wouldn't have gotten hurt in the preseason, what was our starting lineup going to be? That's a mystery we may never know. And I would love to know because our season goes a lot of different ways. If let's say it's Bagley and Stu starting and Bay was going to come off the bench or was Stewart coming off the bench and like, we'll never know this stuff. And if you look at how many minutes and how many shots Boyan takes, he eats up. And actually we play him more than anybody else. He averages like 33 minutes a game. And for me, those are reps that could have gone to other players developing. And you know what? Yes, we would have lost. We're losing anyway. It doesn't matter. But yeah, I feel like we went off track from there. I wish we would have just flipped him at the beginning of the season and moved on. Yeah, that is a great point that I, I you know it hasn't been stated enough is especially once Cade got hurt, why are you giving so much usage to Bojan? I understand he's the guy you traded for and the plan probably was, and this is just me going out on a limb, the plan probably was, okay, Cade is going to run things, Ivy's going to get more usage, Bojan's going to be more of the floor spacer, or like he and Ivy will kind of trade off. Ivy's a rookie when he just, you know, is putting up bricks everywhere. Cool, let Bojan run. But yeah, even that plan is is putting Sadiq out of out of the you know out of the picture completely. Um, and it just bothers me that that story that James Edwards the third put out, not him, but whoever the team source was that said like Sadiq had tunnel vision and like his shot selection. I'm glad Duncan Smith put out that tweet later as like. Okay, so like, does the coaching staff have nothing to do with this then? All last year, they had nobody. And guess who they turned to? They turned to Sadiq and Hamadou, right? And they said, just go get us buckets. And again, this year, when the second unit stunk, who did they turn to again? They turned to Sadiq and said, you know what? Just go out there and get us buckets. But 
before that, the reason they turned to Sadiq is because they pushed him there and said, no, we got Bojan. We're going to give Bojan all these shots and everything. And now going into year four, that seems like a really bad move of like, I understand people that are making the claim of like, oh, we need veterans, you know, to, to help these guys win and teach them things. It's like, okay, but I don't think Bojan's the best they could do. I mean, everybody acts like he's she Gilgis Alexander or like, I don't know, some OG Ananobi, these other gigantic trade chips that like nobody else could trade for and they absolutely need him. It's like they need his skill set, but his skill set is replaceable, right? His skill set is mainly as a floor spacer. If he's doing the same things he does this season when Cade comes back, people will want, they're just going to have the pitchforks out front of Bojan's condo or apartment or house or wherever he is because you can't be eating up that much usage from the you know franchise players and again you're like you said your main point you're not going to know the answer of what these guys are if you're giving a 34 year old guy all these critical shots and saying like no we're going to build the offense around you while we wait for a kid to come back that's what makes things uncertain and again it's not saying Bojan's a bad player yeah I, I think he can like his skill set can be replaceable also with Alec Burks but the main point is that you you can't be doing this going into year four now because everything is uncertain because of that now. Oh, you know what Bojan is, you know what Burks are, but the rest of your roster is really just a big question mark. And then you traded for just another one, so. Yeah, and, and if you look at Sadiq, just if you look at it from his point of view, like I posted how his touches went down every 10 games for like 40 straight games. And it's like, this is a contract extension year for him. And you're like cutting him out of the offense. So yeah, if I have the ball, I'm probably not passing it because I still need to get my shots up. I need to get my points. This is like my, one of my biggest contracts possibly coming up and like, you're cutting me out and not to, uh, not to say like that the front office and Weaver and everybody's like, you know, lying to us, but I mean, it's every Every NBA team is a billion dollar business. They have to sell tickets. They have to take care of themselves. I get it. But the idea of saying that, well, this is part of our core, you know, we're not going to trade it. They just traded Sadiq. Like, so don't listen to this guy is a core and we can't move them and, and all that kind of stuff because they're going to do whatever they need to do. And if anything, for me, it just shows me that, okay, they are willing to move guys because like with Killian and Stewart, it's like, I, I don't know where they fit because in my opinion, they had to improve offensively in order to stay on the court. And this season they have, but I didn't expect them to regress defensively, which they have. They're not put, they're not the same defensively as they were the last couple of seasons. And so then it's like, well, what are they like? Are they, are they going to get back to that high level of defense and maintain this uptick in offense or are they not the same defensively? And again, it's just more uncertainty of what do we really have? Yeah, I will like defend Beef Stew more because as you noted, noted, they put him at center more. I think by now we definitively say he can do it in batches, but the more you put him at center, the more you're setting him up for failure, right? So that's that's definitely one of those things. Killian's more at this, I, I don't even want to call it crossroads, but it is getting to the point where after year four if he's still playing like this there's really nothing you can do and I'm, I'm one of the people too of saying if you're a small market team you can't trade guys on rookie deals and if you're a Detroit fan you got to start rallying against this we've had Spencer Dinwiddie we've had Bruce Brown we've had 
Chris Middleton. We've had, I don't even know who else. I'm probably missing like two or three guys. And it's over multiple regimes that this keeps happening, right? Where a guy here doesn't work out or doesn't look good. And he's in like year one, two, three, and then they move on from him and immediately he catches on somewhere else. So it's just like, yeah, that's just the thing with those two. It's like, I don't think they should let go of them quite yet, but it is getting to that point where if the rookie deal runs up, then like you really can't get into negotiation with somebody that's that uncertain at everything. But with, with Sadiq, it's like you can, in my opinion, we can say we moved him at his absolute lowest value. There is no way for the rest of his career, he will ever play worse than he has this season. So it's like, you're guaranteed to look bad on this trade because there's no, he's not going to get any worse than what he is now. He's only going to get better. So that's just my opinion on it. Yeah. And I mean, they traded him to a place where there's two guards who will feed him easy shots and he doesn't have to play like tough defense with DeAndre Hunter there. And he actually has big men. So yeah, I agree with you. It's just like, well, you traded him into a spot too, where they're not going to ask him to do too much other than what he should have been doing from day one, which is just, put up shots. So now we're going into year four of the rebuild of Troy Weaver. This is year four. And here, I just want to start this off by saying this year four, there's not many rebuilds that make it past year four with, you know, a terrible record that that GM keeps their, their uh, job. We think about the Boston Celtics rebuild, you know, that rebuild really only took one season. They drafted Marcus Smart that one year, and then the next year they win 40 games. They only had one year in their quote-unquote rebuild after trading, um, you know, KG, Paul Pierce, uh, that they didn't win games. Brad Stevens was a big part of it, but there's only one year in that rebuild where they won less than 40 games. Other one to think about is Memphis. Memphis really didn't take that long to rebuild either. They only had like one or two seasons under 40 games and then turn it around and here they are now um with the the success that they have now the other one to think about is cleveland this is the one that um troy weaver has referenced or at least seems to have referenced i don't know if he's directly referenced it now they think about it but the idea of playing two bigs is like come on you know this seems to be something that is in your mind obviously and i know he did say like within the division we got to think about this so LeBron leaves in 2018. The next year they won 19 games. The next year they won 19 games. The year after that is 22 games. And then finally in year four, they turned around with 44 and 38. So there is one in year four that, yeah, this is a turnaround. The Wolves, uh, after the Tom Thibodeau debacle, I guess you want to call it, that next year in 2019, 2020 is 19 games. The year after that is 23 games. Then they turn it around this past season with 46 games. So e- even these teams that we use as quote unquote, you know, rebuilds, it's four years. Year four is the year where you have to turn it around or you're getting the ax pretty much, right? If the Cavs still suck last year, I'm not sure that they would be able to turn around. And even the ones that we've been saying like, the Grizzlies and like the the Celtics, they really didn't take that long to turn it around. So like year four of the Weaver rebuild, this is a tremendous amount of pressure to put on one squad in one offseason, right? 
Like, what are the building blocks that would make us think, okay, we can go from 19 wins to 44 or whatever, like Cleveland did. And that's, and also that is an anomalous situation. That is an anomaly that barely ever happens. I don't remember the stats or the data, but I know they're one of very, very few teams that have ever done that. Yeah. Um, and I kind of use that looking at this season, like, when the season started with a healthy Cade, I was like 25 wins. Like I was not someone who thought we'd make this huge jump because like you said, same, statistically same. it's, it's rare. Like it, those, and if you look at most of those teams who make a huge jump, they will have like an almost all NBA caliber, like second year player who's made a leap that you're just, you couldn't even say like, I wouldn't have expected that to happen. Like it's just, a huge leap that you're like, wow, this guy's going to be a superstar. And I love Cade and I believe in him, but that's a lot of pressure to put on him to make that kind of leap. And people are just assuming, oh, it's going to happen. And even for next season, they're going to assume Duran's going to make a leap. Ivy's going to make a leap. And look at, um, look at Mobley, look at Green, look at Scotty Barnes. Look at the impact they've had this season. A lot of them haven't had huge second years that you're like, uh, look at Franz Wagner. It's not like, like, oh, they led to so much more wins on their team because they're so much better. Like these leaps that people are assuming rookies don't rookie and second year players don't make a huge influence in wins. So I understand where maybe Weaver's like, yeah, that's why we need veterans. But if you rush the rebuild with these veterans, you end up with this team that a ceiling is not very high and kind of what we had with the Pistons before where it's like, yeah, we made the playoffs in the eighth seed and we got swept and that's like the ceiling of the franchise. And I just hope that he always preaches patience in every interview. And I hope he's not the one that loses patience and makes a couple of moves this off season where we're like, Oh, this is really, this is really going to jeopardize the future of what we had been building. Stop me if you've heard this joke before, and it pains me to say this, but the Detroit Pistons need to sign a big free agent. They're going into the offseason with a ton of cap room, and it's an underwhelming free agent class. Yep, never heard that one before. <laughs> I mean, all of the things we just laid out was to give yeah. this point here that you yeah. and I have talked I mean, about a couple yeah. times, right? Who is the guy, the one guy that they can sign where like, oh, this is a difference maker? Yeah, we, we don't we don't have that. It, and it's and that's what bothered me going into this season where everyone was already talking about cap space. And it's like, yes, there are trades, but we don't have draft picks. And if you look at just absorbing salary into cap space, if you look at the list historically, like there's never been a great trade where people are just like, oh, we need to get off this great player to clear our books. So we're just going to give them away. That, that doesn't happen. And we don't have enough assets to give away players to get a player. So I was just never bought into the idea that, yeah, this off season with cap space, we're going to be able to do huge things. But for me, it's still comes back to just the construction of the team that even with the 12 games where Cade played and let's just include 10 before, like, I think the Boston game was the one where he just, Obviously, before he shut it down, he just couldn't play right. But it's like, even with Cade, this was not a roster that was going to win a lot of games. And if you want to seriously look at me in the eye and say, oh, it's because Marvin Bagley was hurt, for real, we're going to use Marvin Bagley as the savior of our season. Uh, and it's because Burks' feet weren't ready. And there's just so much stuff. And 
for, and this, again, I'm not hating on Weaver. I think he's done some good things. I think he's overrated in some areas, but I still don't think he gets criticized enough with the trade to bring in Noel, who never played for us and never moving him. So we would actually have a legitimate backup center so that Stu could have just played at the four all season. And it's like, and then people are like, no, we can't do anything with him because we need him for the trade deadline as a trade chip. Uh, we didn't trade him. We didn't do anything with him. And now we might not even buy him out. Like the whole thing is a disaster, but nobody talks about the Noel thing. It's like, no, like if, if this was a trade where you got like two second round picks for him and Burks to absorb their salary, but you knew this guy was never, and actually I have to go back a step because things changed when we got, Durin in the draft that changes the Noel situation because we got Noel first then we got Durin and the problem was then we also signed Bagley so it's like what the hell are you doing how are you going to trade for a center draft a center and then sign a free agent who is actually a power forward he's a tweener but we're going to use him as a center like and for me it goes back to him being unwilling get off whatever his train of thought is. It's like people say, yes, he knows the guy he wants. He's going to do whatever it takes to get him. That can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing. And so my guess is the Bagley, you know, free agent thing was already prearranged because once we got Noel and once we drafted Duran, we don't need Bagley, but we still signed him to a three-year deal with no options. Like, what is that? That makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, I mean, that just hits the nail right on the head. And this goes back to something Laz Jackson said in the Detroit Bad Boys podcast of saying, you know, this idea that you're so stuck to your guns and you're so set on the evaluation of these guys, your evaluation on them, and that's your reasoning for grabbing somebody like a James Wiseman, and maybe that's a reason for somebody grabbing somebody like a Marvin Bagley and signing them to the contract. That's not a good trade in a general manager, right? Because you have all these other data in the meantime that says, yo, like maybe you should pump the brakes on this. Not necessarily to say that you're wrong, but to say there are parts of this that need major work and that need major overhaul. And just keep pumping them up as like, you know, he was the number one pick in 2020. It's like, man, you can't be saying that now. Like you can't still be saying that he is going to be the best in the draft class just because again, he heaps all kinds of pressure and also disregards everything that's happened in the meantime, if you still have belief in him, that's a different that's a different conversation than say, I still have belief in his talents. I still believe he can be a great player in our league. But to say I still have him number one overall is just like, uh, like have you not watched any of the games between then and now? Yeah, no, that's that's probably the, the hardest thing because I mean I'm someone who believes like a lot of general managers, you know, they make decisions on keeping their job. We, we all do like we, we all would. So sometimes you draft the guy that is consensus because I can't get fired for drafting the guy. Everybody else would have drafted, you know, you go in a different direction and sometimes that's where you can lose your job, but it's like, how would you still pick that? Like once, once players are drafted, their draft order really is irrelevant. It's a sunk cost. Now it's what is your NBA production? Because after that first NBA season, we can look back and say, this was a great pick. This maybe not, but it's still only one year. These are young kids. 
you got to wait three, four years to figure out what they can turn into. Maybe it's not the right situation. So there's a lot of variables. But to look at someone from three years ago and say, no, this is still the guy that I would pick when he's only played 60 games and the tape isn't good. It's like, what do you see? And like, I just, I don't get it. I'm still, still baffled. Yeah. The last thing I'll say as criticism for this in terms of Troy Weaver too, is the reclamation projects. Again, as I laid out in the Substack article, resball.substack.com, go look at it. None of them have worked out. All of them, except for Marvin Bagley are playing somewhere else or they're out of the league. And even Marvin Bagley, he's the same thing he was when he came into Detroit, right? An injury risk, an injury liability. He can't space the floor. He's a terrible defender. He can get buckets, but that's about it. And he's inefficient um, at, at best in that regard. So one of the things that you've hitched your GM wagon to has not worked out in four or in three years so far. The other thing is his love of centers. So first year he drafts Isaiah Stewart, who will play at center. That same offseason, he signs Mason Plumley and Jaleel Okafor, both who play center. And then we go on, signs Tyler Cook to a 10-day contract in that season, who also plays center. Then we have Kelly Olenek that next offseason, who plays the center position. They also signed Trey Lyles, who at first was a power forward, but then had to go over into the center position as well. Next year, they draft Luca Garza, who, oh, I forgot one in there in between. They drafted Balsha Koprovica or Koprovicic, who uh, hasn't played for it. But again, you've invested one of your assets in a center who probably will never even play for you. Then the next year, they, again, they draft Luca Garza, who plays the center position. They got that uh, DeAndre Jordan contract and that trade to help with money and stuff. So there's dead weight money with that DeAndre Jordan. They also had that previous offseason, the, um, what is his name? Dwayne, Dwayne Dedman. They had that trade. It's still on the books as well. So it's dead money in a center right there. Again, they signed Czech Diallo last season to a 10-day contract who plays the center position. They had Micah Potter in and out, again, who played uh, the center position. They tried to trade for Ball Ball who played the center position and that trade did not go through there. They had Braxton Key here who went in and out of the lineup again, was a center. And then this last off season, they <laughs> traded for Jalen Duran, who's guess what? A center. They re-signed Marvin Bagley again. And here we are uh, this season where there's still so many centers. That's the other criticism is like, in three years i don't even know how many guys i just named but that's that's so many guys just for one position right and that position still is not solidified yeah and i'm not someone who believes like okay the rest of the east has two great bigs that's what we need to do to compete against them well if you're competing with two mediocre bigs against their two great bigs uh you're still going to get destroyed that's not going to be like a strategic way to try and beat them if you look at okc I'm, i think their tallest player is like six eight that they've been using at center and they're just using a defensive scheme to try and get around it because chet was hurt but that just takes the ability to adjust to what's happening in front of you instead of saying, no, we're going to make this work. I am going to find the right people, the right personnel to make this work instead of saying, no, this is the personnel we have. 
how can we maximize these players? What is going to be the scheme or style of play for us to use that we can win with what we have? But then again, then you get onto the, the Casey train where is he going to be the guy to come up with schemes that are going to be able to maximize what we have? I mean, I don't think so. I think he's been good for what he's done, but if we're going to like actually try and change things to get some wins, that's going to be, and that's a whole nother subject for a whole nother show. So I ask you, this is our final segment. What are the Detroit Pistons even at this point? Um, the Detroit Pistons are a mystery. I mean, if for most for most of our players, we don't know what they are. So I don't know how you can combine them into a team and decide this is, you know, what we are. I mean, I think outside of um, Boyan and Burks, I think, um, and then Livers, but his volume is low. I think Ivy might be our highest three-point shooter. I mean, well, it was Kevin Knox, but we traded him. Um, but uh, it's like, it's like, okay, so if you look at everybody's career shooting, I think uh, Livers is like 37%, and then everyone else is below 35. They're below league average. Like, Cade is 30. Ivy, who honestly surpassed my expectations, he's like 33. Stu's like 32. Bay, who we traded, is a career 35% shooter. But it's like we have – we don't have shooting other than those two veterans who don't play defense, but it's like, this is kind of, and, and that's actually what scares me with like a top three pick. If we go with, you know, a not top three pick, but like three, four or five pick, if we go for best talent, but then again, their question mark is shooting. We're adding them in to a team that, cause like what team needs to go, over a screen against our guards like everyone should just go under collapse everything into a paint take away our lob threat like i don't know so we're we're a mystery the detroit pistons are a mystery to me and i hope this off season like there's so many trades and things happen that the mystery can be changed and we can have a direction because i don't get it for me they are a team with interesting scores that's a defensive black hole at the moment that is in desperate need of a trade. And uh, the reason why I say this, Ivy can score, no doubt. Uh, the shooting, I've always thought he was going to be like 33 35% shooter, and he's been fine. He's actually been shooting something like 36% since the start of the new year, since the first game in January of this year. So that's been good. Because last year, he really fell, you know, fell off a cliff at Purdue when the new year started. He shot like under 30% or 30% or under, it was really bad. But it seems like he's worked on that a little bit more. Busted out a floater every now and then, which is good. Still a little bit out of control. I really don't have too many nitpicks with him on offense other than just like, I don't want you shooting mid-rangers. I don't want you shooting floaters. I want you getting to the line and attacking and um, finishing at the free throw line. His free throw shooting is still bad for somebody that that's going to be your MO being under 75% to me is unacceptable. You're just leaving too many points at the free throw line. But as a defender, like he's not just bad for a rookie. He's bad by anybody's like bad. I mean, he's bad even for a rookie. Rookies, you shouldn't expect to play good defense ever. But I mean, the reason why so many guards on the opposition have been able to get in the paint at will is because of Jaden Ivey, because there are a lot of things fundamentally that he does wrong. I know in Woodward Pistons, Detroit Kool-Aid and I talked about his shading, meaning like instead of squaring up and looking at a defender 
face to face, he will turn his body one way or turn his body one way, the other way, because as a college defender, you're taught to what they call shade, anticipate what direction they're going to go. In the NBA, you're just basically rolling out the red carpet saying, hey, go to the side that my body is turned away from. That has just got him cooked on so many different possessions. He can get a little bit too jumpy at times. He does not stay on his toes as a defender, which is a big thing. It's these minor details, but they all add up into some stats I'm going to give you now. Right now, Jay Ivey's defensive rating is 120, which is bad. But, I mean, you can point the finger at anybody on this Detroit Piston team. There are only there, – there are zero, zero, zero guys on this Piston team with a defensive rating of 115 or lower. Everybody is 116 or higher. And, uh, you know, Isaiah Livers, Alec Burke, Sadiq all joined Ivey at the 120 mark. So, yeah. That was bad, but if you go look into Ivy's advanced uh, on-off stats on defense per uh, his defensive per uh, per 100 possessions is plus six, which puts him in the ninth percentile. That's like the basement of the basement. That's really bad. Anytime you're in the single percentile, that means you're one of the worst people in the NBA. Go over to his effective field, effective field goal percentage on defense. It's at plus 3.1. That's in the 11th percentile. And honestly, it was only saved by things here or there. Before that Boston game, he was in the 9th percentile there as well. Again, 11th percentile, that's really, really bad. And the last one is in defensive turnovers, like what percentage of the opponent's possession ended in turnover when he's out there. It's at minus 2.4, which puts him in the 7th percentile in the NBA on defense. And these to me show the, all these little minute things that show up that keep getting him cooked over and over that just sink a lot of lineups there. And, yeah, Bo, and you know, his, his, and, his buddy Boyan, um, let me do the Boyan <laughs> ones first. Boyan in these and per, per 100 processions, Boyan's at, in the 12th percentile and effective field goal percentage, Boyan's in the 26th percentile. So he's bad. He's not like worst of the worst bad like he is in the points per one or processions. And then Boyan's in the sixth percentile in, in turnovers per game. And when I was looking at these stats too, I noticed Boyan was in like the 80s, especially for points per 100 possession, most of his time in Utah. But the last two seasons before he left, he was in the like 20s and 30s, like those last two seasons. And this might also be why Danny Ainge was like, look at these defensive numbers. Like this guy is starting to slow down. I don't know if he's going to care about it. Let's just get rid of him. Um, but again, these are your two. Why well, I say the defense is too bad and it's hard to fix it. These are the two guys everybody, everybody is saying is like Cade's sidekick, right? The one, the two guys that you're maintaining offense for that you're saying next to your Ivy's going to get better on offense or uh, Boyan's going to look better with Cade. Well, guess what? They suck on defense. They don't just suck on defense. They're two of the worst defenders in the league. It's terrible. Like, there's so much they need to fix on defense. Yeah, like earlier when you mentioned how Sadiq, his defense may not have improved, but his defensive assignments has been harder and harder and harder, but he maintained his defensive level. Ivy's defense, his bad numbers, we're trying to hide him. We give him the easiest matchups possible, and it's still this bad. And again, my comments, I'm not trying to like trash the player. It's just statistically, it's like you cannot design a defense if you're going to have Ivy and Boyan both on the court at the same time. 
It's just like when Killian and Stu are playing bad offensively, you can't have them on the court together because it just sinks the offense. In the modern NBA, if you have an, an awesome offensive player but is, is horrible on defense like Trey Young, you have to construct your roster to do the best you can to minimize that damage. But no team, no scheme is good enough to get away with two horrible defenders or two horrible offensive players. In the modern NBA, you just can't do it. And that's why I don't understand how we're constructing the roster because if Bojan is this bad defensively and Ivy is a future core piece, how are we going to have them on the court together? Like it, it doesn't make sense. And then, okay, so we are getting a rookie wing. It's going to be a rookie. Like how much are you honestly expecting from a rookie? So from back to the timeline and the roster construction, I I'm still, still lost. Yeah. And we're not being haters either. This is just keeping it real. Go listen to motor city hoops, go listen to the Pistons pulse. They have said multiple times and go follow Bryce at motor city hoops on Twitter and on YouTube, there have been multiple times where he's broken down the film of how bad Ivy is. And every time he will say Ivy is terrible on defense, not just bad for rookie, but like really, really bad, even worse than that. This isn't just something that you can fix in an off season, in my opinion, if, if it does, then kudos to Ivy. He's, you know, going to be one of the best ever if he can just fix this in one off season. But I'm somebody that's been tracking him for three years too, since I mean, you do the NBA draft stuff. And to me, some of these things have gotten worse, which is not a good sign. Um, in the NBA, obviously things get harder, but man, it, it's really hard to, to say that you're going to be okay with one of your guards being a red carpet like this. And this is going to be a long, long time for him to get even decent at, even okay. And I'm glad you brought up Sadiq in defensive numbers. So like to give you an idea, Sadiq's defensive numbers for these same things, he's in the 40th percentile and points per 100 possession in the 29th percentile and effective field goal percentage and in the 61st percentile in the turnover mark none of those are good the turnover one's okay but those are like that is so much better than these other two guys right and it just screams like at least you're trying out there i don't think there's ever a metric to say you know this guy's hustling this guy's doing anything but when all the numbers are this bad that is where you start to say there are details that this person is not buying into on defense nobody should be this bad if you're really trying and you really have your defensive fundamentals down but if you're gonna if you were gonna make a bet you gotta bet serious money next season who's gonna improve on defense Sadiq Bey or Bojan Bogdanovic who would you rather say has an opportunity to improve defensively the guy that's not not gonna be a 35 year old right yes Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I still, and, and honestly, I don't think we could have done a Boyan trade that would have looked like we won, but in terms of fit and roster construction, I think there's just so many trades that just would have put us in a better position because when we talked about cap space, it wasn't with us paying Boyan 20 and then Burks his 10 next season. If you take those off the books, then we got like 57 million and we can get a legit wing to do what we want to do. But we, and that's why I'm hoping there will be some trades and moves in the off season that make all of this make sense. And I'm trying to wait till then, because right now it's like, I, I don't get it. Yeah, and the one silver lining in this and the one thing that I've tried to look on is in the first article I did on did my disappointment in in the um, trade deadline, 
I think Troy Weaver was handcuffed by the moves that were made and that nobody wanted to deal for Bojan and Burks at that moment because a lot of those teams that were reported to deal for Bojan and Burks were trading for KD or they're trading for Kyrie. The Raptors apparently just wanted a center. The Bucks went for Jay Crowder. The Blazers went young and got Bible and Reddish and Knox in that first round pick. The Knicks went for Josh Hart. I mean, say what you want about Josh Hart, but he actually plays defense and is the kind of player Thibs would like. Bojan's the anti-Thibs type player. The Clippers got Eric Gordon and Bones Highland. The Grizzlies got Luke Kennard. The Timber Timberwolves ended up getting Mike Conley in three second round picks. And Nikhil Alexander Walker was in that. And then the Lakers got Rui, D'Lo, Malik Beasley, Mobamba, Devin Reed, Jared Vanderbilt. All those guys filled out a roster that work around LeBron and AD. So I think that was just the thing. It's like when you look at these deals, if they were on the phone with Troy Weaver, like he was probably plan B or C, right? Like I don't want Bojan over any of those guys I just named, you know, because they either give me future flexibility, even in the Blazers one, which might be the quote unquote worst deal of the bunch. All those guys fill that defensive wing need. And honestly, I look at that deal and I'm like, oh, why couldn't the Pistons have gotten that that one done? Because at least it gives us a flyer on two guys that we know can play defense at the small forward position. And it gave them a first round pick along the way. But I mean, Josh Hart's superior player, younger, cheaper than uh, Bojan, even if he is going to be in a contract year coming up. So my hope is that once these rosters are more settled, and again, the free agent class is underwhelming, that actually bodes well for a Bojan and Burks trade in the offseason because people are going to look and be like, yeah, I don't know if I want to pay Lonnie Walker like $45 million for the next three years when I can just rent Bojan for one and then get to that next offseason. Like, uh, I don't know that I really want to pay. Um, I'm not sure, like another mid-level name. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that look at the top free agents in this class too and they're like, I don't want to pay any of these guys. Russell Westbrook, uh, Chris Middleton, Kyrie, uh Porzingis if he opts out of his player option D'Angelo Russell uh Nikola Vucevic Draymond Green uh Van Vliet might opt out of his his deal he has a player option Harrison Barnes Jeremy Grant Bogdan Bogdanovich is able to opt out of his deal Karis LeVert Gary Trent Jr Malik Beasley I mean and then it falls off a cliff from there and you're talking about like more rotation guys there's nobody in there that stands out and it, it, it has me worried it has me worried the Pistons will throw like 30 million or 28 million whatever they have left at one of those guys but it also helps in terms of okay the Bojan and Burks deals didn't go through like maybe it was because all like I said all those names I just said got in the way of it but it does bode well for a summer trade I think yeah when when I read your part one of the article I was actually very impressed when I read it because going through the thought process of who went where and looking at all the deals, I could honestly say for all those teams, I would have rather done that than Bojan or Burks. Like I, it made sense where it's like, I, and I think that's where having a price that's too high and being unwilling to move off of a guy, sometimes that waiting, like maybe we could have pulled off a trade earlier instead of competing with all these other teams, with all this other player inventory that's out there but just for a, a thought exercise what would you have thought if we would have traded bay to atlanta for the second round picks and Knox to portland and we would have gotten gary payton for our point of attack defender for next season 
Well, as long as the health ended up working out further on down the line, that would be great. He was one of the names that I said should have been a top priority last offseason just for that that um, exact reason. Also, he played center in their playoff lineups because mm-hmm. of his leaping ability and because he's not that much of a shooter. So he had this like awesome versatility there. So yeah, it would be great as long as the long-term health worked out. Anybody, anybody, absolutely anybody they traded that would have helped out on the wing defense would have been my number one. And yeah, anybody, anybody, anybody that they brought in for point of attack defense that is good, that is proven, I would have said, yeah, okay, that that makes sense. I understand why you moved on from Sadiq. Yeah, and so that was just one of my thoughts when I was looking at the trade. I was like, you know what? I actually would have had rather had him. And I know we didn't want to get a wing defender right now because we don't want to win games for the rest of the season. Well, at least like, develop we actually, one, right? Yeah, and, and Peyton doesn't need to like be developed. He would just need health, which, again, don't play him for the rest of the year. Play him next season. But that's that's just my number one concern, which we both have. It's just, we need to fix this defense and I don't understand how we're going to do it right now without major changes. So I hope everything they're saying is a lie as far as who our core is and who our foundation is and who we believe in, because it doesn't look pretty right now. Yeah. Yeah. My question to you is my deal that like, if I had to pick one of the, like, keep it real type of deals, was Burks for basically Burks and Magruder for Matisse Thibel and Furkan Korkmaz from Philadelphia. That to me made a lot of sense because Korkmaz is playing terribly for them. They get off his contract, which is, a, it's not terrible, but at least would help them free up some money. And then um, Thibel, say what you want about him. Again, this is a capable wing defender. He's in a contract year, but you at least get him in the building. You understand who he is what he can bring to the table. If his shot comes around, um, then cool. You, you've helped him out there as well. And then Burks is somebody that the Sixers absolutely need on their bench. Their bench sucks, right? It's the reason why they need Tyrese Maxey there because after that, it's just not that fantastic. Like, what would you think of that deal if that had happened? Because that's the one that I was like, man, they should really push that through. Now, in when Philadelphia... I might be confusing it with the other deal because didn't they get the wing from Charlotte where they gave Charlotte back their... Yeah, they got McDaniels. Okay, and I think they gave Charlotte back their second round pick. But like before when I was looking at deals, I was hoping that if we traded Burks to Philadelphia, we could get that because that Charlotte second round pick is like a late first round pick. And same thing, getting Thibault because he helps defensively. And... I'm not as high on Burks or Boyan just because it's like we got them as rentals for the year, get assets for them and get more rentals next year. Keep doing that process and develop the young guys. Like I'm jealous of Orlando and OKC that are like, no, we're going to play. We're going to lose games, but we're going to play these young guys. We're going to play them. We're not going to pull in a 34-year-old to play 33 minutes every night and steal development. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So the final thing on this rebuild is, okay, say you want to do trades. Uh, There's one major deficit that makes this, again, uncertain, saying the state of the Pistons is uncertain. Is their draft pick capital going forward? How many draft picks do they have? Andrew Schlecht of the uh, Saturday Slamma Jam show on the Athletic NBA podcast, uh, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before this one, 
they did one recapping all the trades. I suggest you go listen to it. They do the Pistons at about the 17 minute mark. Um, I'll try and post a, a link to that here in the description for this episode. But he, Andrew Schleck brought up a great point of looking at these other rebuilding teams like Oklahoma City, like Houston in particular, who have you know gained all these extra picks and saying, you know, if you look in the future, Oklahoma City is actually like plus eight in picks, something like that. They, they've acclimated all these other picks. Houston is something like plus four or whatever. They've acclimated like four extra picks. Detroit is actually minus one, meaning they have their picks minus one. They owe another one in the future. They have not acclimated any extra picks. Like, okay, say you you don't want to do that strategy. Say you don't want to just, you know, trade away everybody and get all these picks for young guys that may or may not work out. That with Oklahoma City, you don't have the roster space for, so you have to end up trading them anyway. Well, Detroit's put itself behind the eight ball in that regard too, because guess who's going to be trying to trade for these same players that are going to make a difference? It's Oklahoma City, who's looking pretty good and like they could use another star and take that next step and somebody like Houston. And if it gets down to, oh, we just want picks really, or you have like a good player and picks, then they already have you beat. So that's just the other thing to why we say it's uncertain. Yeah, we would like the trades, but when you look at the other rebuilding teams, they've acclimated a lot of picks and the Pistons haven't. So that makes it uncertain of like, okay, maybe the player in question is going to be enough, but I don't know. There's so many picks now. And the KD one is a, is a good example of this most recent trade Four picks, right? If the Pistons don't have that, then not that they can to trade for a KD, but they're just going to be behind the eight ball in any trade that involves picks. Yeah. Until we get past the protected pick we owe to New York, I don't even consider us being involved in any major trade to get any decent player because we would be trading away our other core pieces, which is like a lateral trade. It's not like we're moving forward. Once the New York pick conveys and we're able to trade future picks like three or four picks in the future, then sure we can go grab a player. So that's again, why I'm not like seeing how there's any pressure to like, we have to win now because we're just not set up for it. So, yeah. Yeah, and again, we're just two fans on the outside. We don't have any insider information or anything, but it's very rare you get to year four, you lose 20 games again, and then that GM makes it to year five. So there's a lot of pressure going into year four. There's still a lot of uncertainty in terms of the defense, in terms of who's playing the wings here. Even with the centers you brought in, it's like who in the world is the guy that you're going to build around here? So the state of the Pistons is unfortunately uncertain right now. I am excited slash nervous for this offseason um, because of that free agent class, but also because of the potential for trades due to that underwhelming free agent class. How do you feel looking forward now to the rest of the season and into the offseason? Well, I was still excited to watch the rest of the season because I honestly just love watching Duran play. Like he has been such a bright spot. That's another reason why the Wiseman trade just kind of ticked me off because it's like, wait a minute, this is your, this is your bright spot this year. And you're going to do something that could jeopardize it. And if you've ever played a sport before and the coach, the team brings in another player at your same position, don't tell me it doesn't have an effect in the locker room or in your thinking or in any of that. So I just, 
I don't get that, but I, I love watching him play. I've enjoyed watching Duran develop. I want to see more time for Livers, hopefully. I mean, unfortunately, like they sh- somebody tweeted a, a graphic showing how bad he is as our point-of-attack defender. He's not a point-of-attack defender. He's a great team defender. And, you know, hopefully this is just helping him improve his defensive skills. But obviously we don't have anyone else to put there, so that's that's the job we get him, give him. So I'm going to enjoy watching the rest of the season. Hopefully we don't. I mean, we should win some games because we have the second easiest remaining schedule in the NBA. There's only one team with an easier schedule than ours. So maybe we'll pick up some W's, even though I don't really want them. I would rather have the best draft pick possible. Um, who would be, if obviously we don't get pick one or two, who would be the player that will help us change this around the most in the draft? You're the draft guy. Give me some hope. So there are a couple names here. Uh, let me pull up my big board here. Star Thompson is the one that I've been pumping up more for the number three overall pick. Like his brother has been getting a lot of the publicity, but his brother, we don't even know if he can shoot outside of like eight, six to eight feet right now. And he needs the ball. He's a point guard. He's a fantastic athlete and he's a fantastic passer, but it just seems like a recipe for disaster to where you're like, okay, Ivy's an okay shooter. Kate hasn't proven to shoot yet. And now we're going to bring this guy who needs the ball more than the two of them who doesn't have any kind of, of shot, like even from mid-range, even from like a corner three something basic. And we're going to give him the ball to develop in this system. Bad idea. Great defender, but that would pretty much sink the offense. I think Asar has developed much more of a complementary skill set. His three-point shot is still coming along, but to me, he's attempted them. And my best example of this is in the preseason. Asar took something like 14, 24 threes. He hit zero of them, but he kept taking them. And then once the season came along, he's shooting in like mid-30s, high-30s. So positive progress. That's a good thing to me. He also has this that Xavier, Sim- the Xavier Simpson hook shot that helped us out every now and then. Uh, he's a good athlete as well. We'll get up. He's a really good cutter. That's one of the things that's underrated about him. He always finds the seam in the defense. When guys sag off, he'll cut back door. I think Cade would work perfectly with him. And both he and his brother are really good defenders. They'll have to work on like getting low and staying more in a stance and stuff, but you will not have to worry about them firing up. Really good workers, really good guys on defense. I think the fan base would fall in love with whoever drafts them first because of that. The other guys would be Brandon Miller. It's uh, Brandon Miller is the one too to me. Like if you don't have Brandon Miller as a top five pick, I really, really doubt what you're doing because he has answered every single question. Fantastic shooter, really good scorer. Okay, ball handler. He's not going to get cooked on defense. I'm not going to sit up here and say he's going to be a fantastic defender, but I don't see him as a defensive liability. He's not really going to shore up the defense that much, but I mean, he's just going to step in and knock down shots from day one to be an upgrade for even somebody like a Bojan Bogdanovic, in my opinion. And the other ones are Cam Whitmore and Jarris Walker would be the other two that I would say, um, thinking in contention for number three. Jarris Walker's been more of a power forward, but the more I watch him, the more I think he's like OG Ananobi, who's able to defend in space, able to defend the big wings in the NBA. Jairus Walker also busts out a nice floater. He has a good three-point shot. He's been shooting 40% from three. And the more that Houston has given him the ball, the better he has looked on offense. And most of his skills are perimeter-based, too, attacking from 
like closeout or attacking closeouts. Um, will occasionally back guys down. I don't know if he can be a full-time small forward, but I really like him and think he maybe could be, which is why I would keep him in there. We'll see as the season finishes, if he can answer more of those questions about being able to play the small forward position. And then the last one is Cam Whitmore, who Cam Whitmore definitely is a small forward around 6'7", 232, can attack off the dribble. Really working on his three-point shot. He came back from a shoulder injury, you know, worked along slowly. People will diss him for his lack of passing, but really it's a Villanova problem more than a Cam Whitmore problem. I mean, he's on a team where the top assist leader right now is something like 17 or 18 assist percentage. Like nobody on that team passes. Um, so you, you got to look at that, that team context too. But an explosive athlete has a good jump shot. Doesn't get to the line as much as I would like right now, but with the way he's able to leap with his ball handling ability, and he can switch on defense too. They mainly like throw him out there at six foot seven, two thirty-two as the point of attack defender, and averages a lot of steals. You would think he'd be more of like the weak side rim protector and whatever, but he's mainly guarding perimeter players. So I like all of them a lot. So if we added one thirty million dollar free agent. And nobody, one, nobody in this agent class is worth thirty million dollars. Okay, we had two fifteen million dollar players, and we get a number three, four, or five pick, and pretty much everyone else stays the same on this roster. How excited are you for next season? I mean, as long as Kate is healthy, and you're going to guarantee me he's playing, I'll be excited. Like. I don't want to say I don't care about the rest of the roster, but I will be excited to watch Cade because he's awesome. I will also be excited to see anybody that they draft in this top 10 that they're going to get. Those guys I just named and then Scoot and then uh, Victor Weminyama, obviously, they're all going to be awesome. In terms of the free agents, like, oh, I'm not sure. Like, I don't think anybody is worth the big money. Again, the list is at the top, top of the big names are Russell Westbrook, Middleton, Kyrie, Kristaps, D'Lo, Vucevic, Draymond, Van Vliet, Harrison Barnes, Jeremy Grant, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Karis LeVert. Like, I really don't want to see any of those guys in a Pistons uniform, if so, I'm being quite honest. But if, if I went down a little bit further, I'm not opposed to the Kyle Kuzma um, signing, but he would have to play small forward as well. I'm not sure that's something to do. Um, I've heard Dylan Brooks. That's another one that I'm like, no, 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 please don't. Defensively, he would be great in what they need, but he's incredibly inefficient. He is in love with just putting up bad shots. I don't know why. The ones that I would be more like hopeful for would be ones that are really under the radar. Like Lonnie Walker, I think Lonnie Walker has had a great season that's gone under the radar, really been better now that he's just been asked to play shooting guard and small forward. Defensively, he's still a work in progress, but there is hope there and another really athletic guy. And then the one that I would try to overpay is Cameron Johnson. It might be a little bit hard now with um, him being in Brooklyn, and they might just want to overpay him now that they're rebuilding. But that shooting, I mean, he's a fantastic shooter, right? And he's not as bad of a defender as they made him out to be, I would I would want his skill set probably the most out of anybody in this free agent class. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at Brooklyn and how they have like just only wings that play now, I'm hoping we can get one of their wings just because we don't have any. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that, yeah, I, I think that that would be good. 
I'm just, yeah, this off season is going to determine. And so I have to admit, I was watching uh, like one through 10 games of the Pistons this season. So I could watch Cade. And again, he is so good. He is so good. He's going to make us so much better, but he doesn't fix the problems this team has. You know, that's my biggest concern. Yeah, two other names like to throw that are kind of under the radar are again Matisse Leibel. Even though he got traded to Portland, he's up for a contract year. Yeah, you might not buy into the shot or into like his offensive game, but the defense is absolutely needed. And the other one is Yuta Watanabe, one of the other Brooklyn mm-hmm. wings. Kevin Durant commented on him like right before he got traded, maybe like a week before on his podcast, getting on him saying like, you know, he's diving on loose balls and like jumping in there and throwing his body around. And he was telling him like, Yuta, stop doing that. We need you. We need your your play on there. And that's high praise, right? When Kevin Durant's telling you like, yo, you're one of my role players. I, I want that guy. And again, he's got the size six foot nine. 215, the best shooter this season. So, yeah, go get me that guy. Yeah, I, I think Motor City Hoop said he could see this team making a big leap, but it requires us to completely revamp our wing situation, yeah. which is which is what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Um, and then, honestly, if there were two names, though, now that I'm thinking about it, the two names I would say, if you had to just narrow it down to throwing big money at, Cam Johnson, Javon Carter. I know Killian's still here, but Javon Carter plays top-level point-of-attack defense at the point guard position. One of the Bucks' best find. I've been a big fan of his ever since he came out of West Virginia. Shooting over 40% from three this season, too. Like, just one of those guys that you're like, oh, I don't want to play this guy tonight because he's just going to be on me the minute I get off the bus. And then very efficient on offense. That's exactly the type of guy the Pistons need. How about like Josh Green? He would have been oh, great. I mean, you know me. I'm here in <laughs> Tucson. I teach at the University of Arizona. You don't got to sell me on Josh Green. I've been selling people on Josh Green since that draft. Like he's not going to be a star, but he's going to be a star role player. And he's turning into that. He's shooting something like 73% at the rim. It's unreal. Yeah. No, when we were doing like fake trades and stuff, I was like, send Sadiq to Dallas, give us Josh Green. That would be yeah, awesome. Yeah. That would have made total sense. Man, this was this was great. Thank you for uh, for having me on. It was it was fun. It was enjoyable. I feel I honestly thought I was going to feel worse after talking about all this, but uh, you've you've given me some hope, and we'll see what the the off season looks like. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, if, if we're looking at this same type of roster, like Weaver adds another center and like another inefficient scorer, then yeah, it's going to be going to be hard to, to upsell this team but we shall see what happens in the future again thank you so much for andy aka data driven piston fan make sure you follow him on twitter at d underscore d underscore pistons that uh underscore fan make sure you go follow him and all his statistical marvels so thanks again to andy thank you for having me this was fun keep up the good work your sub stack i look forward to it man well thank you so much yeah and if you haven't uh subscribed to the podcast or to the sub stack Resball Pod, anywhere you find a podcast, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, just search Resball. And then the Substack is resball.substack.com. Go subscribe, go check those things out. I'm just going to drop my, my big board top 100 2.0 this next week. So look out for that as well. 
Thank you again to Andy Ogone, and we will see you next time.